Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Friends, I'm delighted because I know that God has a plan for us. And I have also realized over the years that oftentimes... I will say certain things, and they'll be completely misinterpreted. Now, am I the only one that has that problem? And someone will come to me or get through the grapevine, they'll say, well, I heard that you said this. And I'll immediately say, I, I, I didn't say that. Now, at that moment, that person is faced with a dilemma. Either the pastor's a liar, or someplace along the line, there was a misunderstanding. Amen. And I found that sometimes when I rehearse my words of what I said, I can see where it can be taken in a wrong context. Yeah? Not meaning to say it, but it does. And so this message this morning kind of goes along that line, but it also talks about some other things where we know what we've said is wrong, but we just don't want to admit it. And sometimes we just want to say it anyway. Of course, nobody in here has ever wanted to do that. Right? You've never wanted to say something. I mean, I've heard people say, I just want to give somebody a piece of my mind. And I'm thinking, you don't have enough mind to give up. <laughs> Ought not do it. Right? And then sometimes that's me when I'm looking in the mirror. Anybody? Okay? So the thing is, though, James is pretty clear on this. And he talks about this word called evility or evil. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4, and then, and then scroll back a little bit to the Gospel of Matthew, and go to uh, chapter 15 and 1 verse 19. And we're going to put these two things together, because I think they go together beautifully. And I'm going to do them this morning out of the New Living Translation. And as you know, um, I don't necessarily uh, usually preach out of a paraphrased version, uh, although NIV is paraphrased, believe it or not, uh, but, it, but we don't consider it paraphrased really, but it is. Uh, nevertheless, the New Living uh, has, is very accurate. It's very good. Now, the first Living Bible that came out in the 70s, eh, maybe not so much. But this one is. And I love the way that the, the authors have put this together. Listen to what they say. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge one another, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But listen to this. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. I thought that was stunning. Your job is to obey the law and not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. And then the Christ said, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Yikes. That's quite a list. And as I begin to think about that, you know, last year around December when I was putting this series together, I realized a couple of things. 
And it dawned on me that the subject of our conversations almost always reveals the content of our hearts. Ooh. Ooh, right? And some of you are like, chewing on that. Huh. Have you ever heard someone say something and you're like, know about that. And then you begin to think about it some, and you're like, eh, I'm warming up to the idea. Well, maybe so. Ooh, I think it's right. But at first, first glance, or first hearing it, perhaps not. And I realized, friends, that that's exactly what Jesus was trying to say, but even more so in Matthew 12. We're not going to get into that verse today, that, that chapter. But nevertheless, he's, he's, he's talking about your heart and mind, you, you tell one another who you are by what you say. Is it not true that people who talk about sports are typically interested in sports? Is it not true that those who constantly are telling you dirty jokes, probably their minds aren't where they belong? We don't, we don't want to admit that. Now, I know that there might be uh, a discussion in your own mind of what's dirty and what isn't. Everybody's got a different idea about what's dirty and what's not. But here's the fact, friends. If it isn't what's best, we ought not be doing it. Amen? Would you say that uh, people who talk about their children are probably interested in children and grandchildren? It is also true that men and women who talk about God's Word and His work are pretty interested in the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's also true that those who speak evil about other people probably don't much care for other people. And there are people out there that that's all that comes out of their minds and their hearts and therefore through their mouths. Every time, have you ever known somebody where you talk to them and every time you talk to them, they're always complaining about somebody? Always got something to say about somebody. Either somebody hurt them, somebody did something wrong, somebody did this, somebody didn't do that whatever. It's constant. And they're always negative. And it's almost always directed toward other people. You ever notice that? And they will tell you that their behavior is because of what other people did or didn't do. I, I, I don't believe that's the way it works. You can choose to say or not say whatever it is you want. And you can't blame somebody else for what you do. That's on you. Amen? But we like the crutch it gives us. Yes? The fact is, James forbids us to speak evilly. Now, evilly isn't really a word, but I'm using it there in that context. I, I think you'll understand it. He forbids us to speak in evil ways. And so I begin to think, well, what is evil speaking and why is it forbidden? I, I think it's fair to ask the question. And it came to me very quickly as I look at the Scripture, and this isn't my own mind. This is, I mean, I come to my own conclusions, as do you. But I found here that as I look at the Word of God, it's clear that when you speak in evility, chances are it came from your thoughts. And I believe that from evil thoughts come evil words. Because if you weren't thinking evil, probably evil wouldn't come out. And so I thought, well, why do we have them? Why, why do we actually have evil thoughts? And I can't look at you. I mean, I can guess why you might have them, but I had to look at my own life, and I thought, so, Pastor, why do you have evil thoughts? 
Why? And don't tell me you don't. Don't tell me you've never had them. Now, is it possible that they're less and less now? Yes. And the deeper in, in, into the kingdom of God you get, the more like Him you become. I would say that there's less and less evil thoughts. Amen? I mean, isn't that the goal? But that doesn't mean they don't creep in there once in a while, yeah? And I began, so here's what I had to do. I had to go back in time over the last couple of months and had to say, think of all the times that you think you probably had an evil thought. And what was attached to that? What caused it? Why did you have it? And I found that sometimes they were pretty darn trivial. And other times, there was some basis to it. And I came to another conclusion. None of them were necessary. That hurts. <laughs> it really hurts when you did it. And you're thinking, but what would Jesus do? You know, we all wear the bracelets sometimes. What would you, huh? Who's got one on today? A WWJD? Anybody? But I'm, you know, we used to. Here's the thing. I think we should make a new one. And maybe we, I, I, I wouldn't even want to sell it. I just want to give it away. What did Jesus do? I can't find one place where he thought evilly and spoke evilly about anybody. Not a word again, but you understand what I mean. Why do we have them? I think the answer is pretty clear. Evil thoughts are the natural condition of a sinful humanity. It's just a natural condition. And so when people say to me, well, you know, uh, uh, I'm just human, or that's, you know, that's just, well, <laughs> maybe. But the natural human is evil in his thought. Right? When people say human nature, human nature, human nature, I say human nature is going to hell, kids. It's to be put to death, right? I mean, you need to have a godly nature, amen? When Christ saves you, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence, aren't you now a child of God? You are. It changes you from the inside out. And the, the, the old, Paul says the old person goes away and the new one comes in. The old man's put off. That means human nature is no longer, because human nature is devil nature, because that's who controls this age, yes or no. Now, a lot of people don't want to admit it. Some pastors won't touch it, but I have to call it the way God does, and evil thoughts are the natural condition of a sinful humanity. In Genesis 6, 5, we find that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, that's in the Word of God. Only evil all the time. And this isn't my opinion. This is God saying it. God determined that this is true. And yet somebody out there is going to say, ah, I, can't, I can't believe that. Well, then you're going against what God is saying. And, of course, that doesn't happen today, does it? I also found that evil thoughts are almost always due to a sinful mind. In Matthew 9, 4, we find after this little uh, altercation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, it says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? He knew what they were thinking. Now, here's the thing. You might not voice it, but the thoughts are there. And Jesus knew what they were. Does that stand to reason he knows what yours are? Well, I'm, I'm certain that he does because the Bible says that he does. And I began to think about that, friends, and I realized that evil thoughts only come from one place, but there's two reasons. Evil thoughts only come from one place, 
but there's two reasons. First, evil thoughts always come to us from Satan every time. He's the author of evil. He's the one that, he was the first one to be evil. He thought he'd be like the Most High, and so he caused a rebellion in heaven. He started it. And he came to earth, friends, and we're not going to get into today how that happened or the ramification of it. But he ended up here on earth, and it stands to reason that when God created this beautiful earth, that he was right in the middle of it, and isn't he the one that started the downfall of man? And for what reason? Because he had evil in his heart. Because he's evil in who he is. So they all come from him. And evil thoughts then come to us because we're entertaining his tempting. We're starting, we're starting to think like he does. Now, he's convincing sometimes. He's pretty good at it too. Anybody? Any, any, is, would anybody have, have the presence of mind and the courage to admit today that sometimes the devil's got your ear? Yeah. No. It happens, doesn't it? Secondly, since there's this natural tendency to think and do evil, we have allowed ourselves to follow His way, not just put a bug in our ear, but to actually do it. Because the conceivable becomes the thinkable, and the thinkable, dear, becomes the doable. Remember that sermon? An evangelist 30 years ago, I think, or 25 years ago, whatever, we heard, he said that in a church in South Bend. How true that is, friends. And when we begin to follow the devil's way, then we're not allowing God to help us choose differently. That means the devil has more of our attention than God does. My grandmother used to tell me when I was a little kid, she said, that old, that old devil is, is talking to you. And she said, your guardian angel is on one shoulder and your the devil's on the other. And my grandmother was a staunch Roman Catholic. And to her, that's exactly how things were. And the more I think about it, she's not far off. Hmm? One, one's an angel and the other's a fallen angel. If, there, if indeed there are guardian angels. I haven't, I haven't been able to ascertain that. But here's what I will tell you. There's, there's a definite <laughs> war over my thought process and my actions. Amen? And so I clearly know where it comes from. In other words, it's a choice in our own minds. Genesis 4, 7, New Living Translation. You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Now, this is God speaking to Cain right before Cain, right before Cain killed his brother Abel. He, and he was entertaining evil thoughts in his mind. And I, the, the devil was already working, wasn't he? God says, sin is crouching at your door. It's eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. In other words, you can. I expect you to, and you should. Yeah? That's what God is telling Cain. And do you really think it's any different with us? Especially with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We really have no excuse, and that's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said when people are without excuse. That's exactly what he was talking about in Romans, okay? He says that everything has been laid out to you, especially as a Christian. And with the Holy Spirit in you, you are without excuse. But, brother, we're good at making them. Aren't we? Do you know that jealousy and pride are the two main culprits? Jealousy and pride are the two main culprits 
for evil thoughts. We're prideful or we're jealous. You look at all of the, all the people who had a falling out in the Scripture. You look at the examples in society. Look at yourself. And uh, you can just about draw a, a direct correlation to those, one of those two things every time. When there's this going on, you tell me why. Yeah, pride or jealousy. Either we're protecting ourselves or we're jealous of something. We feel like we've been slighted. And you know what? Here's another thing. I don't even think I need to go in very deep. Some people just love gossip and drama. It follows them wherever they go. In fact, if there isn't something, they create it. And don't be fooled. Don't think they're not in the church. Doc Coker used to say that the church is the one entity that shoots its own. Yeah, he, he, he's right. This stuff happens in the church, friends, and it shouldn't. If anything, we should be setting the example. But unfortunately, jealousy and pride rear their heads, and there's always gossip and drama around them. Did you notice that? And it happens in the ministries of the church. And people used to say it comes into women's prayer groups. No? I think, I think it can happen in anybody's prayer groups. We're going to talk about that later in the message. It can happen anywhere in the church. And you know why? Because the devil does not want the church to move forward and do what it's doing. He doesn't want us to get other people saved. He doesn't want to draw people into our fellowship. He wants them to wallow in their self-pity and their problems and look to other, other ways to fix it, which will never fix it. Then he wants to detract the church from doing what it's called to do. And if he can head, head off the steam, the steam that we've got going forward, guess what? He's done it. That's where the divisions in churches come from. Isn't it? It happened in the church, and Paul said, some people follow Apollos, some people follow Paul, some people follow Cephas, meaning Peter. But the fact is, we're all just one body. Christ is in all and is, is all. So why are we doing this? And yet it happens. And I've known it time and again when people in a church will say, well, I'm either going to follow so-and-so or I'm going to follow so-and-so, and there's this big, sometimes it's three. And sometimes families control a church, and people feel obligated to, you know, to one family or another, or they're in a family, and so there's a split there. I've known churches where families control the church, and they should not. It even happened here when I first got here. So you know what, friends? We, we, we have a decision to make here and here, don't we? Who, who am I going to follow? Why do we have evil thoughts? Because we want them. We want them. And we feel justified in it. But God wants to transform your evil thoughts. Now, there's a concept. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God, say it with me, God wants to transform my evil thoughts. Transform them to what? Well, good ones. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we talked about that a couple series ago, Right? How some people are heart Christians and some people are mind Christians, and God wants both, not one or the other. Okay? So you have to use your head, and God's going to renew it for you. How about that? Okay? The problem with it is here, we're going to have to allow God to do it. We're not sure we want to allow God to do that, because we like what we're thinking and feeling right now. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm the only one that's ever done that. 
Sometimes I just want to feel rotten because I'm angry. Hmm? And when we give God the authority and the surrender of our thought process, only then can we be obedient in practicing the good thoughts that He wants to put there. That's the only time it can actually happen. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And some versions say, think of these things only. Think of these things. It's, it's, it's interesting to me how quickly, when I'm in a sour mood, if I turn on Christian radio, it changes me. Anybody done that before? It's instantaneous almost. And if it isn't, it only takes a few minutes. And before you know it, that song, you have choices. You can have this thought running through your head, whatever it is, or you can have the words of the song running through your head and in your heart. And guess what? Now it begins to change your attitude. You start seeing things differently. And so I've made it a point that when I'm feeling kind of nasty, I force myself to turn on Christian radio or turn on, put on music. And you'll be surprised how quickly it happens. Because sometimes I just refuse to get in the Word because I know that'll do it too. But I'm just not ready to do that just yet. Of course, uh, again, I'm the only one, right? Stunning, isn't it? So what happens when we have evil thoughts? In the, in, in the English Standard Version in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Brother, I've been in that situation many times. Right? Over the abundance of the heart comes through the mouth. Yeah? You tell people what you're thinking and feeling even when you don't mean to. And sometimes it just blurts out, and then you're sorry you said it, right? Not because it was the wrong thing to do, because now somebody knows. Huh? How does that happen? You see, we speak evil things, but the biggest problem we have is that we refuse to admit that the things we say are evil. Because justification kicks in and we'll say, well, so-and-so did this to me, so you know. Maybe, but that's between them and God, not you. And in our series, Bible series that we did, Forgiving Forward, Bruce Hebel puts that aside real quick, doesn't he? How many of you went through that? If you haven't, you need to go, and we're going to offer it again here pretty soon. And when we do, it's transforming. It transformed people in our church. I know it did. Who, who among you is transformed by that series? Unbelievable. Because when you hold malice in your heart, when you do that, you can never have joyousness within it. It's impossible. And when someone says, well, I might be able to forgive, but I will never forget. Wrong answer. Can't do it. You know why? Because aren't you glad that when Christ forgave you, it says it went into the sea of forgetfulness. He forgot all about it like it never happened. Well, we want that for us, but we won't offer it to anybody else. The Bible has something to say about that too, doesn't it? See, we're, we're getting a life lesson from James here because the life lesson is from God. James is just the messenger. He's not the only one, neither. Do you know we will justify what we've said? because we believe we have a legitimate right based on what someone else did or said. And then we'll struggle with whether or not what we've actually said is evil, because we refuse to take responsibility for our own actions, regardless of what someone else did or said. 
And next, we'll make a deal with ourselves, which is actually compromising the Word of God. We won't admit it, but it is. And we'll say something like this. Well, it might not have been the best thing to say, but I didn't think it was really evil. Well, friends, I got news for you. God determines what's evil and what's not. You don't. Society is going to tell you what's evil and what's not, what's good and what's not, what's okay and what's not. And let me tell you something. I can't trust society because in my own lifetime, I've watched it degrade so much that they don't even know what it is anymore. I've watched it. I know. This isn't something that it's a new development. I remember the day when I was a kid, there were certain things you wouldn't do or say, let alone practice it. And now, commonplace. And the Bible tells me that only comes from one place. Who's degraded society? Well, we have, but we've listened to the one who's ruling it. And isn't it scary that this nation was founded on godly principles and the principles of the Scripture? Christianity? And we're doing everything we can to get away from it. And is it any wonder that the ruler of this age has become Satan and not God? Isn't that unbelievable? But this type of thinking is what's wrong with the church and Christianity in general. It is. Because whether we want to believe it or not, society is influencing the church. They shouldn't be. It, should, it was designed to be the other way. Agreed? Even in our government, that's how it was set. It was designed that way. And there are actually people that because they want their own way, they want to cut out what the forefathers put in place on purpose. And we, this happens politically. There are people that want to do away with the Electoral College now. <laughs> that would be pretty dumb. But why do they want it? Because then... Liberal bastions can control who the president is every time. And the forefathers knew that. They said, no, we can't have that. And they were right. Just like they set our government up on Christian principles, because this is the only one that really works. People died to set it up. And they died in our history to maintain it. And it was due to the faith that they had. Amen? That's our nation. This goes back to what I've been saying for years. We're trying to invent our own version of Christianity. Why? What's wrong with the one that God gave us? Have you ever thought of that? Why is it okay? Why do we think it's okay? to invent our own brand of Christianity. It isn't ours to invent. God already gave it to us. Believers were called Christians first at Antioch in the New Testament, in Acts. Christianity was set on this earth by Christ. We, we have no rights whatsoever to change it or reinvent it just because we don't like certain things about it. Oh, we like what it does for us, but we're not interested. We want to identify with it. Isn't it true that we want heaven, we want the reward, but we refuse to identify with the cross that Christ has put before us? You see, you fidget in your seat because you know it's true. It's happening over and over and over today. 
You know why? Because it allows us to determine what's right or wrong, and we like that. It allows us to determine good and bad, and we like that. It also allows us to think and say and do whatever we want, and we like that too. Why? Because God's standards never change, but our style of Christianity has a sliding scale to our standards. And we like that a lot, and we're going to continue to practice it. It can change whenever we need it to, and we can feel good about it and still claim to be a Christian. This is happening all over the church today. And again, we want to think and believe whatever we want. Why? So we can do whatever we want to do. And who's behind that, do you suppose? In Romans 1, Paul says, we're given over to a debased mind. Uh, uh, friends, that, that, that's a big word, and I'm not going to get into it today, but you can get the idea. It's negative. And the last thing I want is to give my mind over to being debased because that, that only comes from Satan. And when this happens, are we still a Christian? If we're given over to a debased mind, I would say for that to happen, you have to be so far away from God that the Spirit is not controlling you anymore. And I wonder if you've rejected it altogether. That's what Paul seems to say. I'm not going to get into that theology today, but that's what he seems to say. But whatever it is, God isn't controlling you. His Spirit isn't controlling you, even if it's in you. Have you ever felt like there's a war within you and the devil might be winning? Would God, when this happens, actually consider us to still belong to Him? I, I, I Gosh, Again, that's a theology I don't want to get into today, but I wonder. Will He still honor our salvation? There's questions about that. Do we still really think we have our heavenly inheritance? I don't know, but here's the deal. The truth is, eventually, what happens here is we become separated from God. The Bible's clear that that can happen, okay? And that's not a good place to be because Paul describes this type of Christian in 2 Timothy 3, Verses 5, listen to this in the NLT. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Whew, I had to do a double take and read that again. They will act religious, but they reject the power that could actually make them godly. Stay away from people like that, he says. Listen to this verse, from the, the same verse from the contemporary English version. Even though they will make a show of being religious, their religion won't be real. Don't have anything to do with them. And friends, that means we have to do an evaluation of what our religion is. We have to do an evaluation of what our Christianity is. Whatever we're thinking, believing, and saying, we need to know that it's not something we've made up or somebody else has and we're following it and therefore cultish. We have to be sure that it's actually godly in the one that Christ set upon the earth. And the only way I know to do that is to be filled with the Spirit and spend time in His Word. Because that doesn't fail. Not ever. And if you have wrong ideas, God will set you straight if you spend time there. Don't guess. Don't always thought. Be in there. Because the things that you always thought, if you get in there, sometimes you'll be like, over time, I think that got kind of skewered a little bit. It isn't hard to do, is it? And we'll start quoting Scripture, and pretty soon what you're quoting isn't exactly the way it puts it. Of course, that's never happened before. When people tell me, the Bible says not to judge, oh, that's not exactly what it says. 
And what you really need to do is find out what it says. We're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. Okay? Yes, Jesus did say that, but there are reasons for it. And he also said, but if you do judge, this is why. And this is where you ought to be. Whew. But of course, they don't want to read the second part of that verse, do they? Sometimes we don't. You know why? Because we don't want anyone to judge us either. Have you noticed that? Friends, am I, am I losing you? Good. Because some of you are looking around like you don't want to hear it. And so I began to think more about that. Okay, so let's say, for instance, that we're agreed that evil thoughts spawn evil words. Okay. Here's the second thing the devil's going to do. He's going to try to tell you that your thoughts and words aren't evil. <laughs> that way you can think and say anything you want. He will try to make you believe that what you're saying and thinking isn't evil. That way you can do it anything you want. And isn't that grand? Because that's what we want to do. You see, what are evil words? I mean, the, I mean, we can't determine that. It's enough for us to decide. It's for the, God, the, the Lord and the Bible to tell us what's evil. Evil words are whatever we speak that isn't pleasing to God. Now, I, I've spoken plenty of times in my life that I know now that God wasn't pleased. I even knew it when I was doing it sometimes. Anybody in here done that? Indeed. Indeed we have. Evil words are, are anything that's slanderous toward another person or tears another down, spews hate toward another, incites others to have a poor opinion of someone, or in general, it just simply isn't good. Now, there's this massive push in the United States today from a certain group of people that I'm not going to name anything that wants you to believe that if you disagree with them that you're a hater. That you're a bigot. Just because I disagree with you doesn't make me a hater or a bigot. Okay? And vice versa. But at the same time, there are things that are bigotry and hateful. And I began to think about that. And I thought, basically, if Christ wouldn't say it, then neither should we. And here's the thing. There's people out there that don't know Christ who are quoting His words. And they're wrongly telling society and the church how to act. Saying things like that Jesus would accept simple behavior when He wouldn't and didn't. See, you, you can't know that unless you know Christ. And don't you dare turn on what you know is correct in here and fall in line with that garbage. Christ had compassion. His grace and mercy are amazing, and I'm grateful for them. But he did not accept sinful behavior, period. And that's in the Word of God, my friends. Don't put words in Christ's mouth. Because that's what we're doing when we guess. Amen? And yet, evil words don't include rebuke when it's necessary. I think some people think that you should be meek and mild as a Christian and never say a word. And right now, that's exactly what we're doing. 
refusing to say a word, refusing to stand up for the things that are being said and done. And that's, that's, that's no place to be neither. You see, there are times when rebuke is necessary, such as answering a false teacher. Like the one in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas sternly rebuked Christians who were adding to the Scripture and teaching that uh, somebody had to be circumcised before they could become a Christian. <laughs> no, that's false teaching. No, you don't. God wants your heart. Then he's going to circumcise that. Amen? Sometimes we have to confront sinful activity, and this is, this is where, we, where we fail all the time. Especially in someone who claims to be a Christian, such as in Galatians 2, when Paul confronted Peter himself, the one that Christ set upon the earth to lead the church. Paul had to confront him over his activity as sinful. Can't gloat over that. It's right there. Okay? You see, Peter was being hypocritical by acting differently when prominent Jews were in town, refusing to eat with the Gentiles who weren't circumcised for fear of what, they, what the Jews would say. And Paul said, he was clearly wrong, and I told him so in public. <laughs> I imagine, oh, it would be a fly on the wall that day. Ooh. Imagine that would have been, and I'm not saying you should do it publicly, but what I'm saying is that you have to confront it. But you better be right, too. Better have Scripture, yeah? Paul was not afraid to call it out, and so he did. But today, well, we're, we're kind of afraid of hurt feelings. Or we just want to avoid the confrontation altogether. You know what I found? A lot of people won't stand up for it because they themselves don't really know. And you know why you don't really know? Because you're not spending time in the Word. Or you're not coming to our Bible studies, which teaches that. Friends, I will never do a feel-good study in this church. And I don't want anybody to come here to a Scripture uh, lesson that we're doing just so they can check a box and say that I went. You come to learn or don't come at all. You come to allow God to move upon you, to change you, to live within you deeper and stronger and greater than He did before. And sometimes it changes what you always thought about certain things, doesn't it? If you're not going to come for that, then don't come at all. And this might not be the church for you. If you want to feel good about something where you can have heaven and have no responsibility, think and do whatever you want, well, this, I guarantee this isn't for you. But there's plenty of churches out there that might be that way. That's sad, but probably true. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I want to live by the Word of God. And the fact is, turning a blind eye to sinful behavior, even wrong and simple beliefs with another Christian is wrong. It's 100% wrong because we're condemning them. We're not helping them. You understand that? If you won't call out sinful behavior, and if you won't go to the Word of God and say, okay, you know, okay, and there's a way to do it probably. But I, I, think, I think if we go to them and say, you know what, I understand how you think and feel, but here's the thing. Is that what the Word of God says? Let's look at it together. Now, as we read that, what do you think that says? What do you really, be honest with yourself. What do you really think it means? And it's kind of hard for them to get away from that, you know. And friends, there's no place for this in the church. 
And it doesn't matter if these people attend other congregations, neither. It, it, you're, not, you're not called to just do it here. I've got myself in a lot of trouble in the Mayus community because I set some people straight, didn't I, Bernie? And they're mad at me, too. But you know what? Not one of them has ever come to me and accused me of being outside the Word of God. Not one of them has ever done that. But what they have done is says they don't like what I'm saying because they don't want to believe it. Friends, I'm not going to sit back and wonder if I could have done it differently. It doesn't matter. It's done. And it needed to be done. And until, until it's fixed, I'm not going there. Sinful behavior, sinful behavior. I don't determine it. God does. And there, when we allow people to continue in it, we're signing their death warrant. We have responsibility. Now, now we tell them and teach them and do everything we can, and they still, then that's on them, not us. But Jesus has something to say about that. If you know and you do nothing about it, you're just as guilty as they are. Yes? Come on. We're all part of God's church, aren't we? Do you know what else we have to do? Evil words don't include correcting wrong behavior in our children. Some people think kids can just think and do whatever they want. Well, God's got something to say about that too. What about in other adults? It might not be sinful, but isn't there wrong behavior too? Okay. Other Christians? Yeah. We have a responsibility to that type of speech. Even if it isn't necessarily sinful, there are certain behaviors in speech that aren't best either. And I think that that's what Jesus wants. What's best? We should always strive to give God our best in everything that we do to hold one another accountable for doing it as well. You see, we've become way, way, way too indifferent today. And when you're indifferent, you don't care. That's really what it is. You don't care. And I, 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 the last thing I want to do is face Christ and have Him tell me, that I have this against you, like you did to the churches in the Revelation. Yeah, you did this, th these things, but, but I have this against you. You were way too complacent, way too indifferent, and you didn't really care about certain things, and you should have. You know why? Because I do. I, 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 what do how do I respond to that? How would you respond to it? How are we responding to it? Because he's asking, isn't he? When you approach him in prayer, isn't he asking you that question? One other point in evil words, evil words do include one thing, two things actually, and that's gossip and slander. Those things are <laughs> include that, okay? What are they? Psalm 15, 1 to 3, listen to David. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. <laughs> man, man, I thought, boy, I'm, I'm undone at, at, at the second stanza. I think David's pretty clear here on this. He, he, perhaps we should all evaluate our speech. Within the last few days. Remember I told you that? How does it match up with what David is saying? Look back at what you've been saying, regardless of your motive. And what is, what, what, how does it match up with what David is saying here? Was all of it uplifting like David says it should be? 
<laughs> I know mine hasn't been, and I'm willing to admit it, and I'm asking God to correct it too. And if I've offended you in some manner, whether you know it or not, I beg for your forgiveness. Was all of it pleasing to God? Chances are it wasn't. And if it wasn't, we clearly aren't blameless or righteous, are we? Not that God's trying to hold us down. He's not. He's, he wants to build us back up, yeah? But He wants us to be aware of what is and what isn't so we can correct it. And David says, if this is true, that we don't belong with God on His holy mountain if we fall short. To tell you the truth, I want to be on the holy mountain. Who wants to go with me? Okay? Even before I receive my inheritance, I want to be there as if I'm there already. Anybody? So praise God for grace and forgiveness. Amen? And the opportunity to correct this type of behavior. Okay? Because that's what grace and mercy are for, you see. To correct those things that you know are wrong or He's teaching you is wrong, so you can. That's what they're for. Not to keep doing what you want. And again, the church has got that wrong, but that's a sermon for... Uh-huh. Lastly, why shouldn't we speak poorly of others? Why, why, why is that wrong? Why shouldn't we speak poorly? Well, friends, there's only one way to look at it, because we're playing God. Now, of course, no Christian wants to ever believe or think that they've been playing God. But others will tell you that you're playing God if you rebuke them or stand for anything, and that's, that's not the case. And we've got to separate these two right now. Okay? And the only way I know to do it is not with what I think and believe, but what God says. Fair enough? So how is it possible to play God? Has anybody here played God? Do you think maybe you've played? Who's played God before? Be honest. Didn't mean to, but you did. Who meant to? <laughs> Ooh, somebody, somebody, somebody Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> Huh? Do you notice here, we cannot determine nor judge God's law. Let's, let's go back to our scripture. Your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to obey or to, the power to save or destroy. So we can't determine nor judge God's law. Only He can do that. In fact, God is the ultimate supreme judge. He's the consummate judge, and He always will be. Yes, we must judge wrong and sinful behavior within a person. Now, I know people are going to say, no, 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 no. That's the first thing they'll tell me. And again, I, I, I don't even argue. I pull the Word of God out and say, read the Scripture, all of it, not just the first part, all of it. Because if you, if, if you just want to take that first part where Jesus said, don't judge, then guess what? You're going to go and hang everything you are on one statement instead of the whole thing and look at the whole context of it. There's too many people picking and choosing what they want to think and believe in the Scripture and using that only. There's more to it than that. Yes? Okay. And because we must judge wrong and sinful behavior within a person, we must also rebuke and correct it. Aren't we called to do that as well? But speaking poorly of someone isn't necessary when you do it. Now, there's a concept. You can 
identify sinful and poor behavior with somebody, and you can go to them and correct it or try to correct it but, and even rebuke it. But the fact is, speaking poorly about them is not part of the equation or the process. Is it? Come on. And I realized the other day that we can easily slip into that mode and not even mean to. Even when we're right about someone's poor behavior. See, the rebuking part isn't the problem. It's you're speaking poorly about them that is. You could say I learned firsthand. And God clearly rebuked me over it. And the Bible says that none of us can judge God's law. Well, why? Because God's law, get this, friends, and you might want to write this down. I'll try to go slow so you can get it. God's law sits in judgment on those who compromise or break it. That's why we can't judge it. God's law sits in judgment on those who compromise it or break it. We're not in the same wheelhouse as God, even as saved persons we're not. So we cannot judge His law when it sits on judgment on us. It's impossible. Because when you begin to do that, you start making the law. And that's not for you to do. Or me. And you know what? We've done that in the church. The church has done that. The church has made law. The church has judged law. They've done it. I've seen it many times. And when this happens, God alone will determine how to deal with those who do it. Because we can't. I'm glad God got my attention. I'm glad God got my attention before I meet Him. Anybody? And yet, my friends, we are required to judge people in some ways. I want you to be careful with this. Okay? You can't, you can't be God in this. But God has given you the authority based on the spirit that lives within you to judge what's sinful and what's not. Because He says so. And I think that if God tells me it's something sinful, I should believe Him that it is. And I can see it in someone else and say it is sinful. Just like I can see it in myself and say it's sinful. Yeah? Now, we can't judge unbelievers. Bible's clear about that, but we're to judge one another, yes or no? And I think it's safe to say that God's already judged that what they're doing, being unsaved, is wrong. Yeah? So it's not us, it's Him doing it, not us. So you, but you have to judge one, we have to judge one another. What do we judge? John 7, 24, English Standard Version, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Well, if we're not supposed to do any judging, then what's it there for? Anybody? I'm not taking it out of context. It's right there. Okay? We must judge if a teacher is teaching the truth in the church. And you know what? Whatever I teach, whatever anybody in my staff teaches, I expect you, I demand that you look at the Scripture and make sure we're doing it right. And if you have questions about it or don't understand, usually that's what it is, misunderstanding. But you have a responsibility to go to them and say, I'm not sure that that's right. And anybody, any teacher that's got the Holy Spirit in them will listen and say, well, let's look at it together then. Amen? We want to get this right. 
But the people that get upset because of something a pastor says in a message and leave and go somewhere else and never go back, they're the problem, not the pastor. They're the problem. And if you get it from a Bible study and do the same thing, you're the problem. Go to the person. Maybe they are teaching wrong. Maybe they didn't mean to. And maybe it's not wrong. Maybe you didn't understand. But you have a responsibility to go there and work it out together. Yes? Isn't that what Christ would do? Second John 9, 9-11, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. <laughs> that, that's because the Father and the Son are always together. So when people say they're a Christ-only Christian, well, <laughs> I got news for you. You're not a Christian if you do that. Okay? And there's people out there to believe that. Here's the other thing. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or even welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, you, you determine what you think that means. But simply put, we have to judge what is sinful and what is godly or we wouldn't be able to do this in the first place. You understand? And the only way you're going to know is being in here. Going to our Wednesday night services, Thursday night services at Mecca, uh, Sunday night Bible stories with Dr. D next door, and any other myriad of the things that we do. And friends, when you think that Sunday morning is all you need, you are sorely mistaken. Sorely mistaken. And again, like I told you, if, e even if you go to every service we offer, which is three, basically three hours a week, Sunday morning and Sunday night, there's an hour or so, and then in Wednesday night, an hour or so, even if you go to four, again, every kid and every school in the land goes to school for more than four hours a day. So what are you learning? You better spend a little time on your own in the Word of God, amen? You better spend a little time learning what God has to teach you. It's not enough to walk in the front door, side door of a church, spend a little time there, and go on and do your thing. You've got to spend time in the Word of God all the time, or, or you're not going to be able to do any of this. And so when the enemy, through other people, say, well, don't judge me, you're like, oh, yeah, don't say that. No, that's not all it says, and you better know. Because when they're wrong and they say that, you can say, yes, but it also says this. And didn't Jesus do exactly that? When the enemy came to him and said, oh, it says this, and it says this, and it says this, three times, that's all it's recorded, Jesus said, yes, but it says this too. And you know why he was able to do that? Because he knew what was in it. And doesn't he demand and expect that we know what's in it too? So what excuse do we have when we don't? That, that's all I'm saying. And I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just telling you. Spend time there. You can't go wrong if you spend time. I mean, who would say that spending time in the Word of God is wasted time? No. Who would say that spending time in the Word of God was detrimental towards you? If you spent time there, you'd find out it isn't. Anybody? We must also sin, or we must also judge sinful activity within the church. James 5, 19 to 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And I think we gloss right over that when we look at people out there that claim to be Christian but engage in sinful activity. Because here it says they're not going to heaven, even if they think they are. 
Because clearly, if you couldn't bring them back, then they hadn't left in the first place. And that's what you're trying to say. But since you can bring them back and you will bring them back, they've strayed and they've lost it. Isn't that what James is saying? Isn't that what God told him to put there? Friends, you can't, you can't argue these points. They're right there. And the problem is we're not here. We're here. We're here. There's the problem. We must judge sinful activity outside of the church too. Not we can't. There's, there's, not, there's not a good way to do that in some, in some manners, but I'm, I'm going to get to that. But the Apostle Paul says we have a responsibility to do it. That means we can't accept all the activity of society. It's impossible. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3, 9-10. Listen to this. Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? That's what he said. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge even trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life then? If we're going to judge angels in eternity based on our status with the Holy Spirit within us and God's status with us in eternity, then in this life, Paul says, if, you, if you're connected to God and you're going to be there, you're more than competent to pass judgment on sinful activity in this life. Why? Because it's right here. You, you, you can't make this up and you can't argue it. It's right there. But society's going to tell you, no, 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 no. Live and let live. Don't step on toes. Don't hurt feelings. And Jesus said, yeah, and, and, and you're going to condemn them too. Ooh. Let's go back to Peter and John at the Sanhedrin. You tell us who we should obey, God or man. Who should we obey? Who are you obeying? I'm asking you. Who are you obeying, God or man? Do not be deceived, Paul says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's right there. Tell me it isn't so. Look it up yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Read it. I didn't make it up. And yet, still, some judging is sinful. Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Do not judge. Here's the scripture. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay? But they stop there. That's the problem. For in the same way you judge others, you will also be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He doesn't say don't do it. He's just saying that when you, <laughs> the same measure is going to be used. So you better be right. Look at this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Listen to this. Here's Jesus. Jesus speaking. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's the difference. But society is going to tell you, oh, don't judge. That's not what he said. He says you have responsibility to judge, but your heart had better be right before you do it. 
and don't even start to go to this place where, well, then, if I don't really want to do that, maybe I shouldn't worry about my own heart then. Because that's exactly what the devil wants you to think. I, I, you know, I, maybe I'm not as strong a Christian as I should be, so, so I'm, I'm not going to judge anybody. Do you hear what you're saying? Maybe God's wanting you to be a stronger Christian so that you can. And not only can you, you might save that person. Remember the other scripture? You might save that person. Friends, who's against you doing that? Well, Lucifer is. Of course he is. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, don't waste your time trying to know what's godly. Learn and know what's godly, and then you will be able to do these things. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, nothing will be impossible for you when you do it. Unbelievable. He's asking us to grow deeper and stronger in Him so that we can act like the Christian on earth that He was. Amen? So what type of judging is sinful? Hypocritical and hypercritical. Hypocritical and hypercritical. Clearly, we must be righteous ourselves before we can judge anything. Agreed? You can't do any judging until you're righteous yourself. Jesus also warns about being the sin police. Okay? Sometimes God will have to be the one that corrects it in people. Right? I found that rather than confronting a person that you know is simply going to become defensive, which is mostly all of us all the time. Okay? Sometimes it's better just to teach the truth and then live accordingly all the time. And when they're around it, they start to wonder what's up. And then God will deal with them through His Spirit. And that, friends, is always much better and more convincing if we do it that way. And yet sometimes we must do the confronting for the Spirit to convict these people. Again, discernment and relying on the Spirit is always the key. God will tell you whether you should confront it or just live righteously and let them see it. But it's up to Him. And you know what? Both are effective. And you can't know which one to do or a combination of both unless you're spending time with Him and your Spirit connects with His. Huh? Come on. Guys, this isn't that hard. We make it way harder than it is. You know what else is sinful? Trying to judge without learning all the facts. This is exactly what the Pharisee Nicodemus was trying to tell all the other Pharisees concerning Jesus when they were turning against him, not knowing what he's really saying. They just didn't like some of the things. But instead of trying to get to know him and find out where he's coming from, they just dismissed it. In fact, in John 7, 51, Nicodemus says, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him out to find out what he's been doing? <laughs> Look at Jesus' trial and you answer that. Couldn't you? They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. And you know what? Sometimes neither do we. You can't judge based on opinions either. <laughs> Ooh. Paul is very clear on this in Romans 14. The church failed with this for many, 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 many years. We set boundaries and man-made rules that God did not. Okay? We did. And it caused an age when many people turned from the faith because it was not only biblical, it was, it was not provable biblically, but also because the consciences of the people who were, who were doing some of these things weren't, weren't convicted by them. And, but, but the church said, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you're convicted by. We're saying it's wrong. 
well, you're not gonna you're not gonna convince anybody that way. And we did it. We called it legalism. And it didn't work, friends. And yet the legalists in the church condemned them for something that even the Bible didn't condemn. Over and again, we did it. And no wonder people left the faith and didn't want anything to do with it. And no wonder we were called hypocrites. But then again, it goes the other way just as quickly. You see, we want to interpret the Bible based on our own opinions. And when we do this, what the Bible may teach as wrong, we don't think it is based on our own feelings. Okay? That's a problem. Again, our opinions and feelings, well, they don't count. His do, though. You know what else we can't judge? The destiny of someone's soul. This is a tough one. It, it, really, it really is. Because in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 5, Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Did you hear that? It is the Lord who judges me. And therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Or I dare say not. Again, we have the right and responsibility to determine sinful behavior. But none of us can determine what someone's final destination is going to be. We may have a good idea about what it's going to be, but only God can judge it. Amen? We also cannot judge based on certain aspects of the law of Moses that Jesus superseded. Again, Colossians 2, 14 to 17 talks about it, and Paul deals with it. We can eat anything we want on any day, too. And when someone tells you you can't eat meat on Friday, that's ridiculous. When someone tells you there's certain... No, Jesus did away with all that. Now, there are traditional things that some people want to follow them. That's fine. I don't care. But it's not sinful. If you don't, okay? Clearly, it's not. Traditions are fine. I don't care if you do them. However, you have to be careful with that. And to tell you the truth, we ought not be sacrificing animals on the front lawn when we've been sinful. I think Jesus did away with that too because He was a perfect sacrifice. Okay? Here's a big one. The church for many years forbid anyone from working on Sunday or even going out to eat or buying anything on a Sunday. I had someone, even in this church, went nuts on me one time for that. You know what, friends? It wasn't God's intention of keeping the Sabbath that way. Now, let me tell you what the Sabbath is. God was saying that we ought to set a day apart to Him. Shouldn't we? And do you really think we're doing that? See, I understand why the church forefathers did this stuff. Because they knew people wouldn't. And as, as good as their thoughts were, the good, good as their intentions that they had, it was misguided. Because that's still got between the person and God. You know? Do I think you're going to go to hell if you, don't, if you work on Sunday? No. Some people, that's all they can do is work on Sunday. That's their job. And who's, who's really going to uh, live if, if our hospitals aren't manned? Or our police don't work? Or our firemen don't work? Or a multitude of things. Are, are we serious? But if you work every day and no time off and don't spend time with God, I'd say you got a problem. Should restaurants be open on Sunday? 
Is that really what he's saying? No. It's about spending a day of Sabbath with God, isn't it? And if a restaurant worker or a person who goes to eat on Sunday can still spend time with God that day, I... Okay. Let's look at what was meant by it. We also can't judge based on assumed motives and suspicions. You see, some people, again, love controversy and they love drama. And they always assume that others are doing certain things for selfish gain. Somebody's always against them, see? Paul says this is sinful. Listen to his words, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 to 5. These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ into godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. So if you're spending time in this gossip garbage or worried about somebody trying to screw you over all the time, guess what, friends? You're part of this problem. Because so what if they are? That's between them and God. You don't get your pleasure from other people, from Him. And if you're worried about what everybody else is thinking or doing, then your problem is that you're not worried about yourself. And that's where you ought to be. Barbershops and beauty salons have long been considered the gossip place of all of society. I got news for you. It's expanded. <laughs> it's about in every walk of life there is. It's in every, every profession, every company. Every, it's, it's, it's out there so much that we're, we're so worried about what everybody else. And Facebook has got to be the worst possible place I've ever seen in my life. And people say, why won't you have Facebook? Do I need to really elaborate on that? <laughs> Honestly? But Facebook is an amazing and wonderful tool if you use it right. But it's used for wrong things, isn't it? So which are you using it for? The good things or the wrong things? When people say, we shouldn't have the Internet, it's not the devil. Well, guess what? Anything can be of the devil. Don't use the Internet wrongly, and it won't be of the devil. Don't use Facebook wrongly, and it won't be of the devil. Put your eyes on things above, not things below, and guess what? You'll be just fine. If somebody starts doing gossip things on Facebook, don't, in, don't in, involve yourself in it. And maybe you might want to rebuke them and say, you know, I don't want to hear that because that's not pleasing and uplifting to God. I bet they'll stop talking to you. Might even, what do they call it, unfriend you. I'd be like, so what? I don't have it anyway. <laughs> unfriend me all day. Friends, I realize that knowing what to do and judging versus playing God is a fine line. I, 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 I get it. I know we're out of time. But listen, I, I get it, okay? And I realize it's sometimes very difficult to know what to do. But if your eyes are focused where they belong, you'll know what to do. And if you fail or screw up in it, God will show you, and you'll learn from that too. I've learned from a lot of my mistakes. And God's good at teaching me. Anybody? Okay. But I believe that, again, if our eyes are focused, if we read and understand the Scripture and apply all we learn and allow the Spirit to give us discernment, we can do this. God, God gave us the Scripture not to keep us in line, but to get us to a place where our hearts and minds know it to know what to do. Because sinful judging is a result of our own pride. 
The one who does so thinks he's better than the one he defames. In Philippians 2, 3, we find this to be true. In fact, this one happens all the time. We think that because we act better than somebody who acts poorly, that we're somehow better than they are as a person. We don't get to determine that. God does. And anything else is prideful. Or he or she thinks that they're above the law that forbids gossip, slander, and hatred. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. Yes, some people, uh, some, some teach and judge these things, but they themselves also do it. I've seen it many times, even in prayer groups, when people talk about all the gossip about others under the, under the idea that they're going to go pray for them. Listen, you, you don't need to talk about every detail of what's going on in somebody's life to pray for them. It's nothing more than a gossip session. I've seen it more times than I can count, and I've had to shut them down because that's what they were. Well, give me the details so I know how to pray. Give me a break. Really? Really? And haven't we done that? Come on. Friends, our pride is a terrible problem. And most of the time, we don't even recognize it. So as our worship team comes today, let me ask a couple questions. And they're real simple. How many disputes between believers do you think would immediately stop if evil speaking, sinful judging, and pride were eliminated from amongst Christians? I think it'd be instantaneous. And what would it take for you to step up and call out simple behavior in people? Because it's the right thing to do. Yes, you're going to have to be in the Word of God quite a bit to know. Is, but is that so bad? Is it really going to take so much time from you? Don't you have responsibilities to know what's in the Word of God? What do our evil mouths reveal about our hearts and minds? You see? Another question. Are your thoughts and words pure? Because if they're not, what are they? We might not call them evil, but I'll bet God does. If they're not pure, what are they? See, there's no middle of the road here. There just isn't. We, we, like, we like to hang out in the middle. That's where everybody wants to be, in the middle road. I got news for you. Stand out in the middle of the road and you're going to get hit. God says in Revelation chapter 1, pick or choose which side you're on. One or the other. Can't have both. Can't. And some people kind of do this. You ever notice that? They kind of go over to God when they, when, they, when they want to or they need it, and then they slide over here because they want to over here too. You, you, you can't. Does God think my thoughts are pure? Does He think my words are pure? You have to ask the same question because it's only for Him to say. And perhaps we should all allow Him to that, do that evaluation on us today. So